Welcome to Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star. I am Blair Kirkhoff. We are on the clock for the 2019 NFL Draft, the league's annual talent search. The Chiefs held the 29th overall pick, and there had been plenty of speculation of who they'd taken that spot until earlier Tuesday. The Chiefs made a blockbuster move two days before the draft, acquiring edge rusher Frank Clark from the Seattle Seahawks. Chiefs gave up their first-round pick and one of their two second-round selections next year to gain Clark. To complete the deal, the Chiefs traded spots with the Seahawks in the third round this year, moving up from 92 overall to number 84. Here to talk about this huge move on Sportsbeat KC are Chiefs beat writer Brooke Pryor and columnist Vahe Gregorian. Later, we'll talk Missouri football and Drew Locke's prospects in the NFL draft with Tigers beat writer Alex Schiffer. I've only read about 11 billion words on the draft and all the Chiefs draft prospects. It's good because I've written 11 billion, so thanks for being my one <laughs> well, I, reader that has consumed every single word I've written. I know that you have uh, done how many, about as many mocks, right? I mean, uh, I mean two, but... It seems, I've, two have I've, been published. I have run through many more that I didn't like. You, you've read two of the 11 billion mocks that I, <laughs> I have read, but the focus of our chat changed uh, two days before the draft, around noon, I believe it was today, when the Chiefs traded themselves out of the first round, out of the number 29 overall pick, uh, for, a, for a move that's been speculated for uh, a while, a few, several weeks, really. Chiefs acquired Frank Clark, the edge rusher from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the, the terms of the trade were the, the Chiefs traded out of the first round, gave up the number, their first round pick. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, they gave up their second round pick in 2020, yes. which will be the uh, the worst of their, their – they keep the better of their two right. second round picks in 2020. They have two picks 2020. because they acquired one in the D Ford D Ford, San Francisco. And so the, the Chiefs will keep the better of those two picks, whatever that ends up being. And for this year in the third round, they basically traded spots with Seattle. So the, the Chiefs – are going to draft 84th overall, and Seattle will take the Chiefs' 92nd overall pick. So, let's from a, from a football perspective, initially here, um, let's uh, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about what it means to the Chiefs. I think, from a football perspective, the Chiefs got better today. What do you think, Vahe? I, I I think so. I think it's a it's a dynamic move. Now, there's a, a really interesting football only question here about um, okay, what they paid. Literally in in the trade, and also apparently the 105 million dollars they're going to pay him financially, 63 million guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. That's, that's it's higher than Demarcus Lawrence's extension with the it's, Cowboys. It's so, the highest the Chiefs have ever paid uh, guaranteed money, right? Because Justin Houston's was right. 60 million. Yeah, I believe so, he's and, the third highest defensive player now in the league. So to that point, I mean, you, you could you could frame this against the fact that they've let go of Justin Houston and D Ford, who brought some of the same skill set here that they're paying quite a lot more money for. And I just bring that up as a, you know, uh, not, not um, devil's advocate exactly, but it's sort of, it is interesting. I've, I've kind of come aboard this whole, let's just blow it up and start over. I, I, I like it. I, I, I like the feeling of this. And within that context, this, this is a good thing football wise. Right. Well, and, and, the thing is, like Frank Clark is a big upgrade over D Ford football wise. He, the Chiefs believe that he is better than Khalil Mack. They believe he's better than Jadavian Clowney and Bosa and um, and Lawrence. Like they think that he is 
the cream of the crop here. Yeah. And so there really is no comparison between him and D Ford. And in adding him, yeah, I mean, and just they to are, clarify, I mean, sort of the package of right, D right, Ford right. and Justin. I, I, I sort of yeah, think I mean, that he, too, he but is yeah, kind of them combined. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a huge upgrade. He's he was kind of that missing piece that you know going into the draft, it was clear, hey, they really need an edge rusher. And um, they weren't going to be in a position in the first round to get a guy. Uh, for at 29, they'd have to seriously trade up to try to get one of these premier edge rushers in this draft class. And so rather than going in the secondary and grabbing another corner or safety or maybe even go over to the offensive side and get a center to protect Patrick, they decided, hey, you know what, we're going to go with a known quantity and we're going to go with Frank Clark because we think he can make this defense better right now. And so, yeah, from from a fit-wise, from a, from a football-wise – they're getting a really good player. They're getting that that part that they didn't have last year, that they didn't have now. Now that this draft is now that the defense has been blown up, and they're adding more pieces in. So yeah, football wise, it, w- it was a great move, um, even though it was really expensive to make it happen. And it's oh go ahead. Well, oh, I was just- going to say, I, I think that uh, one of the one of the thoughts here is that Frank Clark fits better in what the Chiefs are projected to be defensively than what D. Ford would have been. Yeah, I still think that there were, that was a big unknown for the Chiefs is how D. Ford was going to fit into Steve Spagnolo's alignment. Yeah, it, no, no, no doubt about that. I guess the point I was making was just sort of financial, you know. But those guys were going to be tweeners one way or another in this, right? Justin Houston tweener age-wise, D. Ford tweener sort of physical, literal right. position-wise. So. And, and look, there is the future is now element to this is pretty invigorating in terms of the football only aspect. We're going to keep emphasizing that. But um, the other thing I'm a little interested in, too, it, it's, it's very much the football part of this is, you know, Rhett Veach just absolutely going out there and, and uh, a make things happen guy. Right. I mean, he's just that, yeah. that's that's quite his modus operandi to this point And. Uh, unable to contain himself. I want to go back to something you said, Brooke, just a moment ago, and you were starting to break down, um, uh, sort, sort of giving us why this move happened, why it was being discussed for as long as it was, and why the Chiefs finally uh, pulled the tra- Chiefs and Seahawks finally got the deal done. I think when you looked at the Chiefs' needs, right, in the draft, and what was available, and where the strengths of the, drafts, the draft is this year uh, aligned with the Chiefs' needs, it's a strong edge rush, edge rush draft, but only at the top of the first round. I mean, the, the um, you know Nick Bosa is not going to be there unless the Chiefs trade up, and they're it, not going to do that. And they're not. They're certainly not. They gonna weren't going to do that, and no. they're clearly not now. And, and there's some others. I mean, there's some other guys in the top that are go that would go long before the Chiefs would draft unless the Chiefs traded up to, to get them. So then you go to the other big need for the Chiefs, and that's cornerback. And this is not seen as a strong cornerback. The, the value of cornerbacks is probably going to be a little later in the in in the draft. It's it doesn't look and like there's with a, safeties as well, right? And the, and they already took care of at least part of the safety question with uh, with the, the honey badger, right? With Taran Matthew. So I think when the Chiefs looked at what was available to them in the draft, they were either going to have to make a move to to get an edge rusher, or they were going to have to settle for a, a, a cornerback. And and you and I can list the names. I've seen your names, and there are several other names of corners that that we've seen uh, that projected to, to, for the Chiefs in the draft by Let the Let me Moss. tell you, because you know what I did this morning? I wrote... Did you break them down? Uh, six positions the Chiefs could target with their first-round draft pick. It's oh. now deleted uh, in the <laughs> online system, but the first one that I broke down was the cornerback spot. The best likely available with the 29 pick would be Byron Murphy from Washington or Rock Yassin from Temple. 
And then I have as plausible reaches DeAndre Baker from Georgia and Greedy Williams from LSU. Um, Mel Kuyper Jr. had Greedy falling to the Chiefs at 29 in his latest mock. I kind of think that if the Chiefs wanted to get Baker or Williams, they would have had to trade up for them. But um, yeah, I don't think we're going to see any of those four guys on the Chiefs roster. Can I ask you this question? Um, You said delete that. Is there any reason to hold on to it in case Trader Brett tries to trade like a 2021 first round pick? For something, I mean, yeah, I mean, but also, doesn't doesn't this move signal they are you know they are they're all, all in. in? Yeah, it yeah. does. It I does. mean, thank God for Google Docs; it will always exist in some way, <laughs> shape, or form, and I can just copy and paste back into our filing system. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I would be surprised to see the Chiefs get back up in the first yeah, round of this year. It would be a surprise. That would, would be, take would take a lot of work, right? Right. But, and, uh, with Brett Veach never count anything out clearly, except funny? Patrick Peterson. He's not coming to the Chiefs, so right. you can count that out. That was that was a rumor that was floating yes, around it was a earlier. It I, was not not a funny one. But he did uh, uh, on his social media accounts delete all references to the Cardinals. He so he changed from a Cardinals uh, Twitter and Instagram homepage to a sort of a just a generic Patrick. Yeah. Peter. Yeah, we love Can you that. expand on that? Why, why, yeah, why do we so know that that's absolutely out? What happened this morning is Antonio Bryant, not Antonio Brown, although a bunch <laughs> of us were like, a bunch of us, where's Sam Mellinger? Uh, it was not Antonio Brown. Antonio Bryant of the Bucks tweeted uh, Patrick Peterson to the, or like, wow, Patrick Peterson to the Chiefs. And of course, we there were some rumblings in the last like 24 hours that maybe this was going to happen because there were rumblings that Patrick Peterson was coming to the Chiefs last year when he demanded a trade from Arizona in the middle of the season and then he kind of backed off that recommitted to Arizona said I want to be a Cardinal for for years to come um, and so it was kind of surprising to hear his name brought up again and so you know you you do what you do and when you see that come out you kind of send some feelers out see what's going on and kind of the unanimous the unanimous response I got back was. Yeah, no. This we've had no conversations. That this is not a thing. These these two sides, it's not happening. Um, and kind of the consensus from what I heard and others on Twitter that it was a joke. Um, I don't know who told Antonio Bryant this was happening. I don't know if Patrick Peterson and Antonio Bryant were like, "Yo, we're really bored. Let's let's just spice things up." Um, so they, you know, for about twenty five minutes today. There was the, hmm. well, maybe Patrick Peterson's coming to the Chiefs. And then uh, funny timing that that kicked up this morning. That was, what, probably around 10 or so. And then uh, two hours later, Frank Clark is, false is alarm, the Chief. But, yeah. the, but Frank Clark was not the false alarm. And so even with the, you know, even with the, the, the what's projected to be good edge rushers going early in this draft, Montez Sweat's another one from Mississippi State. Right. And um, it's still a projection for them. With Frank Clark, it's not a projection. We know what he can do. We know what he's done, right? He's one of seven players in the NFL to have at least nine sacks each of the last three years. He knows how to get to the quarterback. I was um, I was in the air. I was on an airplane when this happened. So I'm watching NFL Network and ESPN to see how it's playing on on those networks. And and everybody from McShay to Casserly, all the people who, who work for those uh, stations thought the Chiefs made a good move. And, and thought from a football standpoint, the Chiefs improved themselves. The Seahawks needed to kind of get rid of that salary. They just, you know, they just re-signed Russell Wilson, and they're sort of having to dump some salary. And, uh, and, and the Chiefs 
are, are, are benefiting right now from having a quarterback on a rookie contract. Financially, they're benefiting from this. So that won't be the case, you know, in a, in a few years. But right now, they're able to improve their team with Patrick Mahomes on his rookie contract. How does it affect right now what they want to do financially with Chris Jones? That is, that's a good question. Uh, Mike Garofalo from the um, from the NFL Network said, you know, from what he's hearing, the the conversations between the Chiefs and um, and Chris Jones are still ongoing, which is what I was told at owners' meetings that that was something that they were beginning to really engage in and ramp up in. Um, and so this this trade, even though now the Chiefs are on the hook for a lot more money, they're still, you know, they still know that they want to pay. Uh, Chris Jones, I want to say the figure was around $20 million a year, um, which he's more than worth. But you have to think that they've really got a lot of cash tied up now in, in, um, in, in Frank Clark, soon in Chris Jones. I think they can uh, ink Patrick Mahomes to an extension on, what, January of 2020? Right. So coming up on that. And the Tyreek Hill situation, that's not resolved. But if, you know, if things – clear up with him and end in a resolution that makes it feasible for him to still be on the team, they're going to have to pay him. So they are going to have to do some some maneuvering to figure this out, but they're going all in right now while they can. So we, we uh, emphasized early in this conversation the football side of uh, – the, the impact of the football side of the Chiefs, and I, I think we can all agree that he's um, you know, a terrific player and, and will help the, the Chiefs' defense. But there's another side of the story as well. So, um, Brooke, why don't you give us the details of um, uh, sort of the other side of Frank Clark? Yes. Or the, the other part of his story. Yeah, not the yeah. Other side, so this, the other part of his story. The interesting thing about Frank Clark that, that was talked about a lot recently, and, and it was talked about a lot when he was drafted by the Seahawks in 2015. Uh, in 2014, he was involved in an altercation in Ohio uh, with his then girlfriend in a hotel room. Um, she did not press charges, but when the police came on the scene, they saw enough to arrest him. I believe it was on suspicion of domestic violence. And he was charged. It was eventually pled down to, I think, a fourth degree um, charge that was not a felony, not, you know, not domestic violence. I, I forget what the official term is, but he was kicked off the Michigan football team as a result. And that was the second incident that he'd had at Michigan uh, in 2012. He missed a week of practice in a game for theft. Um, I got to look at what the exact um, arrest it was. Computer, was. It was it? yeah. It, he it. he stole a MacBook from a dorm mate at in Michigan, um, and so he he's had these two incidents. And then, to me, the most one not the most because they're all bad situations. But another red flag was so this incident happens. The the domestic violence incident happens in 2014. Um, he's drafted by the Seahawks in 2015 in the second round. And then in 2017, during some of the Greg Hardy stuff going on, uh, reporter Natalie, um, wrote a story about Greg Hardy, tweeted out another story that she had written in the past about Frank Clark. And he went after her on Twitter and essentially said, you know, this is P this is why people like you don't have a job. Whenever you're done doing that, you can come clean my fish tank. Um, something along those lines, but it was definitely like you come clean my fish tank, which I obviously I don't take kindly to. Um, and he tagged her in it, and he deleted it, and then he issued an apology. I'm sorry if you were offended, and then a day later tweeted another apology that was geotagged at the Seahawks location. So make of that what you will. But 
he has had this issue, these, these series of issues. Now he hasn't had any legal things since he's been drafted, you know, not so much as a speeding ticket as far as we know. And, um, so all this is in his past, but as a, as a pro, as a pro, right. But except, except for the tweet, except for the tweet, which is obviously to me concerning it's, it's and, and it should it be is. troubling to a lot of people, um, that, you know, he didn't learn from the lesson or, or I don't know what you want to make of it, but to me like that, that's an issue. Um, and the broader thing here is that the, this is now what the third guy that the chiefs are in bed with or, or associated with that has these issues third in recent history you have kareem hunt tyreek hill you know they draft him with knowing about the problems that he's had and now he's under investigation again or involved in investigation again and and then you have kareem hunt who was removed for the team uh for the issue that he had in ohio and the video came out and it the chief said hey you lied to us about what went on um, and I think that that is an important distinction to make now. Even since then, I've talked with Clark Hunt, and he said, obviously, Cream's actions toward the woman where he punched and kicked her in the hallway of, the, of his Cleveland residence were unacceptable. But the initial statement was, lying to the team is not okay. I, I remember we talked about this. Remember when Clark made his appearance in the locker room the first time? It was weeks after the, that happened. And we asked him any number of questions. And the thing he would not say, did not say, was... You know, we deplore any any violence. He just wouldn't say the sentence. So when Brooke interviewed him down at the Super Bowl, yep. I guess, Brooke made a point of following up on that question. And I believe you said Clark's words to you were, well, I thought that went without saying. Yeah, yeah. No, went, it doesn't go without right. saying. And it clearly doesn't now when you add Clark or when you add Frank Clark to the team who has this issue. Right. You've established this pattern here that sends the message we care about winning more than we care about taking a stand against on violence against women. Period. And that, to me, you know, it, it's been interesting seeing the reaction of fans to this. What, um, what have you noticed? You know, I've the reaction while we've been reporting on Tyreek Hill Twitter, you know, brings out the, the two extremes. I got a lot more backlash for reporting on Tyreek Hill than I have about Frank Clark. Almost the consensus that I've seen is people being disappointed in the Chiefs that they would, A, explore the trade and inquire about the trade, and then even more disappointment when they actually added him, at least in my mentions, which granted, you know, mentions change based on the person, but there's been more disgust or being frustrated that the chiefs would add this guy with his known history, than kind of outweighed the fans are like, great, we have a new, a great new defensive player. And um, I think I would have to guess that there are some fans who are feeling a little bit betrayed by this organization right now that, they keep saying, yeah, we're, we're going to fix this. We're taking a stand against this. We're not like this anymore. You know, Clark Hunt and, and Brett Veach both talked to me about it at owners' meetings about the need to, A, want to give guys a second chance, but B, also want to draft guys that and, and add guys that are, you know, upstanding citizens high and, character, and, and high-character right? guys. And how can you tell me, you know, a month ago you want high-character guys and then add Frank Clark? They just – it's completely at odds. And, and the statement to me, part of the statement is, well, we just can't find a guy this good with high character marks all across the board. And of course they can, right? They yeah. can. They couldn't find a guy this good with this convenient a situation where he's a proven commodity. But the statement becomes, well, you know, we know better than you do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're, I'm sure they haven't said this directly yet because we haven't had that interview time, but I guarantee you they're going to fall back on the, on the, 
oddly inappropriate now Tyreek stuff that they were saying uh, at the time. I don't think they with, can fall back on well, that that's, now. But what I'm saying is right, they're going to say right. that kind of thing right, about right, this. Right. We vetted him, right? Our, our people, you know, all these people talk to him. Yeah, we've, things we've to that talked effect. to coaches. We've talked to that, but... Even security, maybe right. NFL security. But or, tell me if you talked to the woman that right. was involved in the altercation. Right. That's the question I want to know. And and to go back to flip this to the Tyreek thing, and again, they're a little different and different in this context now, but one of the points that was made, and, and we've all talked to domestic abuse advocates before, is... It, these aren't these aren't mistakes when these things happen. These are these are character revealing moments when these these things happen. Exactly. And I I think the the complication is always going to be the 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 need for for another chance in life. And but how do you isolate the idea that somebody doing something that has a high recidivism rate is worthy of another chance. Exactly. It's, it's a very complicated question, and the Chiefs keep giving the benefit of the doubt to those people. Yeah, they do. And and I think that, yeah, that has to be really frustrating. I know as someone who's covering this team, I feel like I keep writing the same thing or I keep having the same thoughts, and it's not connected to the same player because it keeps happening. And yeah, I mean, it, it is frustrating when you have a team that says one thing and goes out and does the opposite. And, and you're right to, to your point of the we know better than you thing. Um, you know, this week when I sent in my, you know, story ideas, things that I wanted to write, one of the things I was going to say was, um, you know, here's how Brett Veach is different than John Dorsey. Here's how he drafts differently and builds the team differently in that he looks for a better balance of, of these character guys. And, and John Dorsey was kind of a, a win-at-all-cost guy. You know, he was responsible for Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill. Granted, Brett Veach was on the staff then, but he didn't have nearly as much power. He wasn't the GM at that point. Um, I can't write that now because I don't feel that way. Because Brett Veach right now is making a move that is John Dorsey-like in in all the bad ways. Um, and, you know, John Dorsey is, is good at his job. He knows how to build a team. Um, I don't always agree with the way in which he builds them, and this falls under that category. You know, an interesting part of this conversation is also this question. If, if this guy never does anything again, do you, do you feel differently about it? And I, I, this is a, sort of a rhetorical question. I mean, it, it's, it's is, if he's in the right culture, if the right things are being done, et cetera, et cetera, do we come to view that differently? Or is it something you can't, you know, ever look at this guy without thinking about. And I, I would submit that it's probably different for any woman to, yeah. to think about that. It is. And I think that there are ways that if you are involved in a domestic violence incident that you can not necessarily be rehabilitated because I don't like that, that term in, in this context, but there are ways that you go through rehab and therapy and, and there are ways that you can become productive and and you can contribute to society and whatever else again but from what we've seen the nfl isn't taking isn't mandating those steps so for example we've i've talked with some domestic violence um advocates and and people who are experts in the field and they say you know one of the ways that if if you've committed domestic violence and you need to go um you're ordered into a therapy program the one way that you can kind of get past this and really understand what you've done and, and not repeat it is to be involved in a program that is about accountability 
and transparency. So you're in like group therapy settings, you're admitting what you did, you're hearing other people admit what they did, and you're talking about it and it's an open dialogue. And repeatedly. And you're, yeah, and, repeatedly. And so you so you can't ignore it, you can't push it back. And from what we've been told, the, the, the programs that the NFL is using are not that, are, are not that kind. So I would need to see more of an emphasis be placed on that before feeling like, yeah, this guy can be a member of the team or, or anyone for that matter. And yeah, I mean, he hasn't had an incident, but you know, you, it, all it takes is, you know, one time for that trust to be destroyed for that, that first incident, that trust is destroyed. And I don't think you should get the benefit of the doubt right away. I don't think that it should take, you know, you went to 25 classes and now our trust in you has been restored. You know, we'll talk to Brett Veach later this week, uh, draft week, and Andy Reid. They'll, they'll both be available um, uh, during during the draft. And we will talk more draft. We will talk some draft later in the show with Alex Schiffer as we discuss Drew Locke. Uh, Brooke Pryor, Vahe Gregorian, thank you very much for being here and um, and speaking to the news of the day. Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com. And it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at KansasCity.com slash sportspass. And we are joined now by Alex Schiffer, Missouri beat writer for the Kansas City Star. Alex covers all things Tigers. And uh, so much so that he is heading to Nashville to cover the NFL draft for for the Star and for KansasCity.com. So, what's uh, what's behind that? Well, Drew Locke, quarterback Drew Locke, is uh, is going to be is going to be drafted, and Alex and I are going to talk about where that might occur in the draft. I do believe it's going to be in the first round. Schiff, what do you think? I think it's going to be a very First, hello, Blair. Uh, first, it's going to be a very interesting Thursday night, I think. Um, I, you know, I, I got asked by a buddy the other day about where my best bet is, and I, with with the report out that the Cardinals could pass on Kyler Murray, I think it could be a very interesting uh, Thursday night for Drew Locke. I wouldn't be surprised if he's off the board as high as six to the Giants. I wouldn't be surprised if it's an Aaron Rodgers deal where maybe he sits longer than people are uh, are expecting. Well, that, let's the Kyler Murray uh, information is interesting. You know, the, the we're you and I are talking on Tuesday uh, mid afternoon, and the, the Arizona Cardinals had uh, their first veteran minicamp today, and Josh Rosen was there. So, uh, and, and and the word is nobody from the Cardinals camp is tipping a hand on what they're going to do with the overall number one pick. But every single mock draft I've seen in every NFL 
draft analyst and every NFL expert has Kyler Murray going to the Cardinals. So let's just work under the assumption that Murray will will be drafted by the Cardinals, and and then and then we'll and now let's talk about how the rest of the first round might shake out for a, a for in the in the quarterback at the quarterback position, not just with Locke. It, I, I have seen uh, Locke go anywhere in, in the mock draft that I've seen, anywhere from two, which would be a, a trade. You know, somebody would trade with the 49ers at two to move up to get him. Anywhere from there all the way down to 32nd uh, with the Patriots. And he would be groomed as the perhaps the heir apparent to, to Tom Brady. And then at several places in between. One of the things that I find intriguing about the, the possibility of Drew Locke is there are three teams – well, now four, but three teams that have uh, multiple first-round picks, like the Giants, uh, the Raiders, and the Packers. And the Giants uh, certainly have the probably the most immediate need at quarterback. We don't know how John Gruden feels about uh, Derek Carr. And and then, you, as you mentioned, the Packers with, um, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, maybe – Maybe the Packers are looking ahead, looking to the future, but there are also beyond those three teams. And of course, the Seahawks are now the the fourth team because of the Frank Clark trade with the Chiefs. They have two first round picks, but they just signed Russell Wilson. So, um, what? Tell us what some of the other possible possible landing spots are, because I've I've also seen Drew Locke in the Chiefs division as well. Yes, I uh, I think there's a number of them. Honestly, um, I think. The one that's been talked about a lot is the Denver Broncos at number 10, which would be, you know, John Elway was at Missouri's game against Arkansas. They had him out there for a visit. I think that makes a lot of sense. He could be the heir to Joe Flacco in that case. There's been talk about the Bengals at 11. You know, Randy Dalton's only on the contract for, um, what, two more seasons. And I think that's a very interesting fit because the Bengals head coach, obviously, is was the quarterback's coach for the Rams. And there's that whole NFL push to kind of get around, uh, you know, develop a young quarterback and get an offensive mind around him. So I think that'd be a very interesting fit. Yeah, Zach Taylor is the guy you're talking about. Yes, yes. I drew a blank on his name. Thank you. Um, The Packers, as you said, have two first rounders. Do they? I don't I don't know if they're a team that takes him at 12 because they're you know, they're a couple pieces away from being back in the playoffs. I you think they'd use that higher pick for a, a more of a need. You know, the Dolphins have been talked about, but they've also been linked to kind of tanking this year for either Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Herbert next year. I think Miami of all the situations is one of the uh the ones that I don't think is a great situation. The Redskins at fifteen, Jay Gruden is a great young offensive mind, but I don't think Washington really has a lot around uh the quarterback position. If if Alex Smith former Chiefs quarterback was still healthy. I think that would have been a great scenario because you look at the quarterbacks that have sat behind Alex Smith, Chase Daniel, Mahomes, of course, uh, Nick Foles. They've all credited the guy for helping their career out. So, But his ankle injury, I don't know about that. Right, right, exactly. And uh, one more for you before I hit, throw it back to you. I think the Los Angeles Chargers are a interesting pick. I think they're another team like the Packers where they were in the playoffs last year. Maybe they use it on a more immediate need, but Phillip Rivers worked out with Drew in California. Ken Wisenhunt was at Missouri's Pro Day, their offensive coordinator. I, I think there's a little more smoke there than than is getting credit. Okay. Um, so all, all sorts of possibilities for a, a landing spot for, for Locke on, on Thursday. You know, when the college season ended, I – I just assumed I didn't. Maybe I didn't assume it, but I my sense was Locke would be 
the second quarterback selected after Kyler Murray. Uh, you know, when, when Murray made his, his uh, you know, decision to uh, skip baseball and, and enter the draft, he automatically went to the top of the quarterback class. There was a little bit of kind of uncertainty about who the second quarterback was, but I thought early on in the offseason, or at least in the pre-draft time, Drew Locke was filling that that void. But in, in some recent mocks, I've seen, uh, you know, Haskins at Ohio State and and Daniel Jones of Duke even, uh, as uh, in some mocks by some respected people ahead of Drew Locke. And I'm just wondering what your take on that is, and have you seen, uh, have you been seeing the same sort of projections that I have? Yeah, I have, and I think it's going to be very interesting with the Giants. You know, as as the uh, the readers know, I'm from New Jersey. I have some people that are back, you know, east that are in know of the Giants and have heard some things. And I there before I, I even thought about it, you know, there's more commonalities with the Giants than I really gave credit for with Daniel Jones. I mean, but they're looking for a replacement to Eli Manning. Eli Manning's college coach, David Cutcliffe. Right. Daniel Jones' college coach, Daniel Cutcliffe. Um, they're both kind of reserved personalities. You know, Eli's not as much like his brother where he's this big camera personality like Drew Locke is. And John Mara's son, whose name I'm drawing a blank on, was at Missouri uh, Duke's Pro Day. He left NFL owner meetings early, and he's very much involved in the draft process. So I, I could see – I think 17 makes more sense for the Giants to take Jones at than six. But I, I do think that I would I would not be surprised at all for him to be Eli Manning's heir apparent there. And, and as you kind of said, you know, I, I think Dwayne Haskins is a very interesting deal. He's only started one full college season. You know, Drew Locke's the rare four-year starter right now in college football that's high in the NFL draft boards. You don't see that a lot lately. And uh, I, I think that Haskins might, you know, Haskins had amazing numbers, but Context is key. He had an amazing offense around him at Ohio State while Drew Locke had Emmanuel Hall and Albert O down injuries this year. And he never played with the level of consistent talent that Haskins did. So I I think that it's a very big toss-up as to whether or not Drew's QB2 off the board. Because, you know, I think – I just read a story about Dwayne Haskins' father coming off very controlling and very bizarre. I almost kind of wonder if, if that's a red flag for teams like a LeVar Ball type of deal – I, I think it's going to be very interesting as to whether or not he's the second quarterback off the board. I think Drew Locke is right there with him for that second spot. Okay, so does some of those circumstances that you suggested about uh, Drew Locke help explain the, the the numbers dip that he took this year from, from 44 to 28 touchdowns, his yards, about 500 fewer yards passing, yards per attempt went down a little bit this year. Um, some of that had to be the injuries. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we could start with the touchdown number. I mean, he led the nation in touchdowns this year. You know, I, I think anyone that was expecting him to go out there and throw 44 in a non-air raid offense was maybe a little uh, out of touch just because you don't really see that. And, and it was a different system. Right. Uh, they, oh, you know, go ahead. Go they ahead. Switched, well, they switched coordinators, right? I mean, Josh Heupel. Yeah, yeah and, and, and Derek Dooley, you know, part of the whole sales pitch on getting Drew to come back for his senior year was – we're doing this to make you more pro ready and put more pro style concepts and, and less of an air raid hurry up type of deal. So I, I'd said throughout the season that his numbers could drop, but that doesn't mean it was a bad season per se. I, I think that, you know, I, I think some of the bigger things he was able to, you know, I thought he showed himself more as a runner this year than he did. You know, he had a career high in rushing yards, 175. That's not Michael Vick 
esque, but he did scramble more and be able to extend plays with his legs. His interceptions was down. His completion percentage was up. So I, I do think that there was a dip in some numbers, but I also think that the ones that uh, that increased did him a lot more favors than maybe the ones that decreased hurt him. Okay, so give me uh, thumbnail strengths and, uh, and 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 weaknesses for Drew Locke as projected at the next level. Uh, arm strength for sure. I think leadership and adversity. I mean, he had an interesting four years here between the protests, two coaching cha- uh, coaching change, three coordinators, all the injuries, etc. You know, he's kind of used to playing with an interesting hand. And uh, I think the shortcomings are some of his decision making for a senior. You know, I look back to his pick six at South Carolina, just a terrible throw. I think some of his decision making still be a little bit better. I think his Intermediate throws can also use a little bit of a touch-up and, and maybe a couple fundamental stuff, but I, I just think that he's never had a mentor before. You know, it's always been baptism by fire for him. He played all four years of high, uh, high school. He played all four years of college. He's never really had someone to sit and learn from. I think if it's another situation of baptism by fire at the next level, it could get ugly. If he has someone and the right person to learn from, he could have a very long career. I agree. I, I think um, that he... It would be fortunate for him to have a Patrick Mahomes type of entry into the NFL in that, uh, you know, Mahomes, as you mentioned earlier, got to uh, you know, basically serve an apprentice year and, uh, and, and watch not just uh, how Alex Smith handled coaching, but how he handled himself professionally. And I, I think uh, that was of, of great benefit to, to the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes. So you are, uh, you are heading to the NFL draft, which is in Nashville for the first time. And I, uh, it is going to be quite the party in, in Nashville there. I think they're expecting over 100,000 fans uh, hitting the streets, uh, primarily on Broadway. Free concerts, um, incredible show for, for the NFL draft, which is the reason why Kansas City wanted this event. So I'll be curious to know, uh, upon your return, what you, what you saw, how much fun you had, and, and just sort of the whole uh, um, you know, ballyhoo of, of the NFL draft coming to your city, uh, because Kansas City still wants it and is in the, um, probably in the running for the draft in, in, in the near future, maybe uh, in 22 or 23, something like that. One last uh, little quick thing for you, Alex, on, on, on Drew Locke is – I think the team that ends up drafting him in, in recent history, one thing we've seen is teams that have their quarterback in mind are not afraid to trade up to get him. And uh, if they think that they have, a, you know, if they think somebody in front of them is thinking the same way, they can. You, you'll, you'll see a team make a deal to trade up and and uh, and get him. I refer to Mahomes again, but that's happened to a lot of quarterbacks in the last last few years. So that's that's something else to keep an eye on. I agree. It's the uh, I just checked Vegas's odds right now. Actually, the over under on Drew's draft selection is nine and a half. Nine and a half, and, and the Broncos are at ten, right? The Broncos are at ten, and and another thing is that his odds for going number three overall, which would be to the Jets, which the what you said it would have to be for a trade uh, if he goes number three. The Jets have talked about potentially moving that pick. Those odds are fourteen to one. So. I think if Kyler Murray does not go number one, it becomes a very, very interesting situation for him. Uh, but if if Kyler Murray does go number one, it's going to be very interesting. What if if he falls past ten? I really wonder what happens to him, just because after fifteen to the Redskins, there's kind of a gap until you see those Chargers, Packers again, Patriots sort of the end of the first round. So it's there's no consensus for him. Mel Kuyper's been saying that throughout the draft process. 
And to his credit, it's now, that, that stance hasn't really changed. It's aged very well. He could go a number of different spots. Very good. All right, Alex Schiffer from the Kansas City Star. Thank you so much for joining us on Sportsbeat KC. Have fun in Nashville and look forward to talking to you when you get back. Good talking as always, Blair. Take care. Thank you for tuning in. Links to stories by Brooke Pryor, Bahe Gregorian, and Alex Schiffer are available on the show notes and on KansasCity.com. We'll be back later this week with another edition of Sports Beat KC, a sports podcast presented by the Kansas City Star.